listening to the Good Fight Podcast, where campus meets Christ. Welcome back to the Good Fight Podcast. This is episode six of our series, Christianity 101 on the Nicene Creed. Today, we're going to get into some of the material relating to Christ's incarnation, his infleshing, his becoming man. We talked a little bit about some of this material in previous episodes where we were talking about the creeds, so to speak, high Christological material, some of what it says to define at length who Christ is. And here we start getting into some of the material where it talks about what Christ did. And so this section of the creed that we're going to start looking at today goes as follows. For us men and for our salvation, he, Christ, came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. That's one sentence, but packed into it is just so much. We've got this question of what is salvation. We've got this image of coming down from heaven. We've got this new person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We've got the incarnation itself, we've got the question of the virgin birth, and with that, the added-on question of Mariology, who is Mary, what is her role in God's plan of salvation, and then we have the astounding statement at the end that this person who has been defined at such length as being divine became man, became a human being. I'm joined today by Joel and by Rory. Say hi, guys. Hello, hello. How's it going? Rory, it is so good to have you back. I was grabbing breakfast with some mutual friends of ours who listened to the podcast, uh, and they were talking about how much they love listening to Rory's uh, voice, voice over, over the podcast. <laughs> very soothing. And, uh, of course, you know, what he speaks is, is also very enjoyable. And uh, I'm Artashir. To those of you who might be tuning into this episode for the first time, though I recommend you listen to the other ones too. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll be diving together into this material today. Um, Joel, coming from the Catholic perspective, correct? And uh, yeah, as of as of today, I am. Um, though, yeah, <laughs> I've not apostatized yet. Um, but as of today, yes. <laughs> and Rory, where are you coming from again? To any new listeners? Yeah, I'm coming from evangelical Protestant perspective, especially yeah. Reformed. Reformed. All right, and that'll be that'll be interesting as we talk about some of these issues of salvation and Mariology, which were historically and still are points of contention between Catholic and Protestant Christians. But let's get into this. So the creed, as we get into this incarnational material, starts with a sentence of purpose. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Your reactions to that? What's the first thing that you I think you the see? first word that obviously needs some elaboration is salvation. Um, you know, there this has been a, a there's a lot of different perspectives on salvation, you know, um how it may or may not be earned, um uh, or, or how some people might think it might be earned, how it plays a role, how it might be eternally uh, uh secured for us or how it might not be. Um and so I think some conversation on that definitely would be really interesting. Right. Right, and I think we've talked about this before, but again, at, uh, since I'm a pedantic classics major, what, do, what does salvation mean, the word itself? If I remember correctly, it'd be coming from the Latin um, salus, the, I guess, well-being, health. So I guess a restoration to health or life. So I, in this instance, a granting of eternal life, where someone goes from um, spiritual death to spiritual life, forever 
So I, I guess I think um, I will bounce off of I'll bounce off what Joel was just saying is it's important to have a sense of okay what are we talking about by salvation what's Christ doing what's he aiming for because it does say that he became incarnate became man for our salvation um, and it will also be good for us to talk about a bit what it meant what we mean by him becoming incarnate what's that action and how does that play into say how he saves us right good stuff there salvation saving i think that's right salus good health it yeah it means saving from that is the standard christian question at least within american protestantism are you saved you know what must, mm-hmm. uh, the the jailer in acts what is it which chapter what must i do to be saved um he asks that to paul and silas when they're in prison it is an interesting question it's not exclusive to Christianity, um, this question of religious salvation, but there's many religions share this sense that there is something wrong with humanity Mm -hmm. and that humanity requires salvation in some way, requires help, requires a restoration to some greater form of well-being. So let's get into this more. When I say salvation, what do you guys think of coming from each of your respective um, traditions, backgrounds? What's your understanding of salvation? I think you're right to say that Many people, even irre- irreligious people, but definitely other religions do grapple with the same question. Humanity seems to have a lot of problems. We, we murder, we steal, we're selfish, we're prideful, we do all this horrible stuff. And how, how do we stop? How do we escape this just cycle of horrific behavior? And how do we um, not only escape the cycle of horrific behavior but how do we escape the guilt and um, the suffering like even the internal torment that is brought by doing such horrific things and uh, as far as I'm concerned like I'm concerned and I think the entire Protestant tradition and I think the entire Western Christian tradition be that um, we'd say that mankind has been corrupted through sin that our nature itself, that we are inclined to sin. And you see this all the way back um, in Judaism, where it's not necessarily quite as well formulated, but um, the rabbis talk about the yetzer hara, the inclination to evil, how we just can't escape this inclination to evil. And that is fundamentally from mankind's rebellion um, in the Garden of Eden, fundamentally from this um, state of corruption that we're in. Um, we're out in our own strength, out of our own strength, we cannot um, just choose the good. Mm. Yeah, I just support that wholeheartedly. Um, but yeah, the uh, salvation um, uh, is a need, uh, it shows that we're in need of saving, right? Um, you know, sin is a kind of dysfunction, an illness, a disease, right, that has befallen the human race. And, you know, solace in terms of health and well-being, um, one might think of, you know, a, a doctor is a very natural con- connection. And, and that can be a very obvious, you know, parallel to salvation, right? Um, uh, rest- restoration of health and, and medicine and, you know, divine medicine, right? Um, one thing that I've always found curious um, between, you know, differing uh, perspectives on, on salvation is um, sort of the, I think emphasis is probably the wrong word here, but maybe the con- uh, the, the the perspective on salvation that a lot of uh, uh, Protestants hold. I know um, super popular is, is uh, 
I, I've had friends from people who are on college campuses, uh, other college campuses, and they're always, you know, uh, questioned by, by you know, they have their, their Protestant groups on campus talking to people, you know, um, different things. And, and sometimes the question that they ask is, uh, are you saved, right? Um, and sometimes you'll have Protestants go, well, I was saved when... Um, and so I was just wondering, that's always been a little confusing to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not super familiar with what okay. uh, Protestants might right. mean. And I know you definitely I, don't right. represent. If we can hold on to that question, because I think that's a really important one. And that gets to some of the things that I suppose are a significant disagreement between branches of Christianity. I do want to emphasize some of the things you said that I think Christians generally would agree on. Rory, you said that everyone, even irreligious people, has a sense that uh, something's wrong and that something's required to fix it. And I'm just, that, that is a question I think that people ask in every age. What's, what's the matter with the world? What's wrong with humanity? Mm-hmm. What's, what's go- what the heck's yeah. going on? What's going on with things? And the answer to that has been historically, there have been historically some different answers that have been floated. Some of them still float around nowadays. Some people say the problem with humanity is ignorance. The problem with humanity is primarily material. Um, it's a question of, you know, prosperity and... Um, you know, progress and education, and that is what will fix, that is what will fix humanity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people say it's, so again, a question of education, a question of just reason, right thinking versus wrong thinking. Very traditional humanist response of how we just, we really do need to increase education and allow people to see how their actions are impacting others and how the best thing for them is to, um, I guess, be kind and be a good person. But even then, we have um, some like and you know more popular is the anti-humanist position, right? What's wrong with the world? Well, us, we're the ones who are wrong with the world, which is in a yeah in a, in a kind of sense somewhat right. But but that uh, you know the solution is uh, you know mass eradication, mass extinction. And that's really interesting because I was going to bring up that uh, that possibly misattributed uh, story that I think they tell about G.K. Chesterton, uh, who was. A Catholic writer from the turn of the 20th century. Uh, they Good say stuff. that, yeah, they, they mm-hmm. say that they say that uh, there was a newspaper that basically held like an essay competition on what's wrong with the world, and he um, wrote in, "Dear sirs, I am," mm-hmm. um, signed Chester, yeah, G.K. Chesterton, mm-hmm. and that's interesting because at the time that was considered remarkable. It was considered to be, you know, standing against uh, the secular optimism of the time, which said. You know, it's all societies. We just need to make a better society. We mm. just need better government. We just need better education. We just need better health care, and we will solve what's wrong with the world. Mm. And Chesterton is bringing us back to the historic Christian answer, which is that the problem starts with the human heart right. on the individual level. But, but, but to what you said, Joel, just then, there, there might be many people today who aren't Christian, um, who don't, but who might agree with mm. Chesterton, in for coming from a completely different angle, yeah. that humanity is the problem. And what? how does Orthodox Christianity stand in a small o Orthodox? We don't have Nate here today <laughs> to represent Eastern Orthodox Christianity, but how, w- how does historic Orthodox Christianity, the Christianity of the Creed, stand in opposition to what you just called the mm. anti-humanist position? Yeah, so I think, you know, while you used to find a lot of secular optimism, I think secular pessimism is sort of the mood of the day. Um, you know, uh, we are wrong, you know, we're, we've, we've, you know, improved so much in our education, material prosperity, you know, it used to be the case that 50% of the world was living on less than a dollar a day, and now that number is drastically lowered, 
uh, but yet we don't feel as though the world is a remarkably better place. Um, some people say that's a perception problem, and uh, you know, actually it is a better place, we just don't do a good job of realizing it. Um, but a lot of people would say, no, it's still, it's still just as bad, if not worse, for some, for many reasons, you know, climate is a super popular one, mm-hmm. um, or, or other environmental reasons. Um, and so it seems like the better and better we educate ourselves, the worse and worse we're able to commit uh, grievous acts. And we um, also find, I guess, in the U.S. at least, you can see more and more intros- introspection of, oh, right. but there must be like systemic racism. We have like, there must be still something fundamentally wrong with a system mm-hmm. that's holding us back, that's committing injustice. And I'm not saying there aren't problems, but right. there's still, there seems to be this desperation to find problems with government problems Mm. with education that then can be solved to help people but uniquely about these problems is they're sort of vague undefinable and and oftentimes unspecific um you know it can be tough to point to a specific reason and and oftentimes that's true it's it's an unsolvable problem that is just you know the human condition but i think you know just as the counter to to secular optimism is perhaps a kind of christian pessimism though i would <laughs> hesitate to call that with you know ownership of guilt probably is is the best word there's also the the christian counter to secular pessimism is christian optimism like hey you know our our our, our problems have been solved in a certain sense like the fight has been has been has been won. There uh, is a solution. Yes, there is. There a is solution. a solution to the condition that you're in. Yeah, especially for you as an individual. Right. Um. And I think Christianity doesn't promise that in your lifetime all ills will be righted right. in society, but it does promise that there there is a solution that is here and is continuing to be realized and mm-hmm. will be fully realized, so that there is hope for you. There is hope for you to have this brokenness dealt with, to have your sins forgiven. The, the, just the horrible things that you do, that other people do, that the, you can be reconciled with God and with your neighbor. Right. And so there, there's that promise of hope paired with a realism about the human condition. And this solution is a specific one. It's concentrated in a person, you know, the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what the creed reaffirms, um, that he came down for us men and for our salvation. Amen. Right. And a few points from there that I think are really interesting as we return to this question of salvation is that Christianity is not about, by the way, as we talk about these problems, how humans relate to the environment, how humans relate to each other in society, the questions of governance. Christianity is not about this kind of, um, I'm going to worry about my individual salvation and the world can go to hell in a handbasket. It's not about that. When so, so when we say that all these problems are not the main problem. We're not denying that they are problems. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, we are saying that the way we try to solve them, putting all our trust in certain, uh, I don't know, government, education, and so on, not, again, that those things are unimportant or ineffective in all cases, but that those don't solve the, those don't get to the root of the matter. I think it might have been Thoreau who said, people tend to cut at the branches of evil without ever getting to the root. There's also the sense of uh, when you're in an airplane, it says put on your mask before you help another. If you're a broken, messed up person, you yourself need help. And you need to be able to have, I think the Christian message is that you can, that you can have joy and peace and forgiveness through Christ Jesus, through the Lord Christ Jesus. And that it is through that and through the power of the Spirit, you can then become exponentially more helpful for those around you. 
So it's not, uh, you can't really uh, hope to help the world. Well, you can, you can help a lot of people, but you, um, when you don't actually have a solution for that fundamental pro human condition on the base individual level, you have to just be, you have to act much more broadly without speaking to that. And you have to try to reduce it to some sort of externality. Right, right. That's that's a good point. And uh, Christ says, what does it uh, gain a man? If what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his lose his soul. So perhaps in one sense, and we'll get into this question of the individual and the community and the church later on in these series, but this series, but it is interesting to note that Christianity kind of lays the roots perhaps for um, some of the good things we associate with modern individualism or the rights of the individual anyway, by affirming that positive change begins with individual salvation. Now, that's something I want us to hold on to. I would also, to the point of the environment in particular, but also to the question of problems in society with how humans relate to each other more generally, I think as we get into the material regarding the incarnation, there's a lot to be said about the redemption of creation as a whole and not just of humanity that will be very, very fruitful to that point. And one last observation before we get back to this question, before we dive into the question of Christian differences on the issue of salvation, uh, is that... I think there's something beautiful about how, as we've seen, the creed kind of stands against, kind of cuts against the culture, even when the culture changes, right? In Chesterton's time, when it was primarily a sort of secular optimism, the creed said, remember that the problem is in your heart. And then today, when there's a secular pessimism that affirms a sort of, I would say, in some ways, it affirms a basic problem with humanity the problem there is that not that it recognizes there's a problem with humanity but that it seems to think it's humanity is irredeemable and the creed stands against that as well the image i have is sort of a, a rock or an island rising out of the ocean and regardless of changing currents it kind of stays the same i think there's something yeah. beautiful about and I that i think i think it's definitely true that sort of blind secular optimism and when you talk about chesterton uh, now, like in his day, they were Europe was heading into some rough times, um, heading into both world wars, like going through both world wars, going through the depression, and then all the reconstruction afterwards. That by the um, over his lifetime, I, I don't know when did Chesterton pass away. I think in the nineteen forties. Yeah, so over sure. his lifetime, from when he would have been born to his passing. Um, you saw a complete collapse of that blind secular hope, I think, um, especially where you just saw a lot of a lot of horrible things. And then you just saw people go right back to it um, afterwards, where um, they say, oh, the, the defeat of all these horrible things mm -hmm. will now lead us to happiness. And I think you see that just the cycle play out again and again when um, people keep on crashing back down to a reality that they can't save themselves by their own power. Yeah. Right. Right. And they are re irredeemable. They are irredeemable by their own power. So mm -hmm. they're, right. I think a secular pessimism in that way is closer to the truth and mm -hmm. that, yeah. um, right. with what they have, there is no hope. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the question one of the apostles poses to Christ, I think, who, who then can be saved and, 
uh, what is right. what is impossible with man is possible with God. Am I misquoting that? No. Um, yeah, that's and that's the truth we're here to affirm. So let's get into that. We Joel, you said earlier that there's that difference uh, in how Protestants talk about salvation and how Catholics do. Something we have been touching on here has been the externality, in a sense, of salvation, that we cannot save ourselves by our own power. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about that because when I hear Protestants say that, have you been saved, are you saved, I see that, in a sense, as the affirmation of mm-hmm. that, that it's an external thing. And some people will just think that the Catholic view is you kind of save yourself by your own power, especially in Protestant circles. That's the perception. So what are your thoughts on that? How would you address some of those things? Yeah. Well, before I get into that, just a quick note on some of the things that you were saying. I really like that you were talking about, you know, the the environment is, you know, prevailing popular uh, uh, topic in in popular culture. Um, And uh, for some, it can be, you know, it can seem narrow, right? Uh, at this line in the creed, right? If all creation is groaning for God, you know, why is it that God just came to save us men, you know, us men only, right? Um, but I think that's um, the way that we have to view that is in a larger perspective, right? But Paul the, does say all creation groans for the resurrection. Yeah, exactly, right? And so he can he's able to say that because of the role that man man plays in creation, right? All these things make sense in a system. Um, Barron has a great line in it in his book where he says, um, he addresses this objection and he says, but we must remember that the Bible, as we saw, always places human salvation within the framework of God's grander intentions vis-a-vis the entire created order. Since human beings are the stewards of finite creation, the priests who led the totality of creatures in praise of God, whatever goes wrong with us will have deleterious implications for the entirety of the cosmos. Right. And just for our listeners, which book is that? Oh, yes. Light from Light, which is a theological reflection on the Nicene Creed. Um, great book. Highly recommend. Bishop, Bishop Robert Barron. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but just to, to, to go back to your question, um, you know, the very popular formula, formula that a lot of Protestants talk about is faith alone, right? Say, saved by faith alone. Um, and I think there's just a lot of miscommunication on that on the part of Protestants and Catholics when we have this conversation, because in a certain sense, that's a true statement, right? Uh, uh, you know, if we're talking about faith working through charity, faith working through love, right, as Paul talks about, like, that's definitely true, right? Um, and, 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 and faith is not, is definitely unmerited, right? It's, it's unearned. Um, you know, we are irredeemable by our own power. So I think there's just a lot of confusion that tends to happen. Um, as Catholics, sometimes we hear the word faith alone and we get all, we get all excited, you know, uh, faith, faith and works, right? We want to emphasize. Um, but uh, I think that the, most of the time that's just a miscommunication um, about what faith means, what, what, that, what that definitionally entails. Rory, yeah, Rory, I would like you to get into the Protestant side on this. Also, as we dive into this, if you could, from just the general Protestant perspective, too, could you articulate the difference here, just mm-hmm. for the for anyone so, listening who because there is a difference, yeah, m- might might be unfamiliar with what this whole conflict about faith versus yeah. works is. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd also like to tie this um, a bit into the discussion of the incarnation and how, mm-hmm. um, since that's what this quote in the creed is discussing, and I guess for, from a Protestant point of view, you have um, Christ um, comes down in a, the, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Logos, becomes enfleshed. He assumes 
a human nature and a full, fully human nature, and that, but he is born of the Virgin Mary, and that um, we, um, we are all descendants of Adam. We all bear some level of like, you know, we bear guilt and corruption that comes from Adam, like understanding of original sin and people can articulate that slightly differently but there's still that we are in this fundamental state of, of separation from god due to our um, descent from adam and due to our covenant relationship with adam because um, adam is our father and as our and as his children he plunged all of humanity into this situation and that christ as um son of mary um, but of son of Mary, with begotten of the Holy Spirit, um, he does not participate in that cut uh, federal head, that covenantal relationship with Adam, where he is a new Adam that God um, still fashions him out of the line of David. So he is a fulfillment of all the promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Saul, all the way down. So in that sense, he is of us, and he is. A blood relation to us, yet he is separate through this virgin birth, and then through the um, and then from the Protestant perspective, also through the work of the Holy Spirit, um, he is born um, of Mary with, without corruption, so that he um, is in a state of righteousness that we are not. Mm-hmm. So, and then it is through his perfect life um, that he is a perfect rep- um, that um, because of that. And through the power of God and through his power as the son of God, he lives a perfect sinless life and um, then dies in our stead as a perfect substitute in fulfillment of all the typology, all the, the images and prophecy, the prophecies of Isaiah and Isaiah 53, the type of the Passover lamb, the type of the, the, sac- the atonement sacrifice in the Levitical system that he takes our takes um, bears the legal penalty of sin that stands against us and then through the power and then descends into Hades destroys death defeats declares his victory and then resurrects with the power of God and I guess in resurrection life and it is through um, that we must be grafted into that cover that we must be grafted into that new humanity mm-hmm. he is the perfect Adam we are part of the old Adam the old man, and then he is the new man starting, he's the new Adam starting a new humanity, and we must be grafted into that through the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and through through faith. And the idea is that um, I think when Protestants ask, are you saved? Mm-hmm. Or have you been saved? Oh, I was saved at this time. Or they might also say, I entered into a saving relationship with Christ mm-hmm. at this time. They're saying that they through faith and o- only through faith were grafted into this new humanity and born again like that they received mm-hmm. the holy spirit and were united with christ so that and you have difference like i coming from a reformed background where we do believe in the perseverance of the saints where those who have been grafted in that they will not be lost mm-hmm. that they will pers- um, persevere to the end but there are many protestants who believe you could fall away and repudiate yeah. and repudiate that blessing from god and fall out of it um, but the idea is that it is just just and you're justified mm-hmm. you are viewed as just before god in virtue of you being united with Christ. Yeah. And you are only united with Christ 
by faith. And that is a faith that is given by the grace of God, not out of your own work. So when they say, oh, I am saved by faith, it is that you are justified only by Christ's righteousness. And you only enter into that participation of Christ's righteousness through faith. And then there is the view of part of, and I think it's more technically right to say justification by faith mm-hmm. in Protestantism. and um, as, a, as opposed to salvation. Salvation, which you can, I think that's not inaccurate because you are saved in virtue of being justified. And especially if you believe in the perseverance of the saints, then I think those can be basically equated. Because once you're justified, you will remain saved. Yes. But I still think conceptually there is a distinction where I think plenty of Protestants, I think all Protestants can view the process of sanctification of growing more and more like Christ through the power of the Spirit, and that is manifest, that's through good works, that is through actually living out a life um, in line with Christ. That's how you get sanctified. That is part of our salvation. That's part of us getting renewed um, and brought closer and closer to the the ideal of what we ought to be um, apart from sin, and that it's only after death that we can then fully realize that. Um, so I think to just say the distinction would be um, the justification is only through that union with Christ. And so you're not actually justified by any of your own works. Mm-hmm. You could have done, and in that sense, you could die at the very end of your life. And if you were truly united with Christ, you're saved because God looks at you and he sees Christ, his perfect son, um, as opposed to being God judging you by, oh, you have this belief in Christ, and then I must also see a fruit, mm-hmm. see these works that you're producing to know that, and that's how you're then justified before God. Mm. Uh, I think there's, I okay. think that is a difference. Okay. Yeah. I, I do want to, uh, ho- uh, yeah, Joel, I want to give you a chance to respond. I just want to hold on to a few terms just to clarify them. So justification, Rory, as you're using it, has the sense of essentially a legal declaration. Yes. Where, uh, basically human beings as sinful beings standing guilty before God are identified with Christ through yes. faith. And since Christ is perfectly righteous, God then passes, Christ is our new representative as opposed to Adam, Adam a sinful yeah. Adam having been our old representative. And so we are covered in a sense by Christ's mm-hmm. righteousness through, the, th- yeah, yeah, th- through, through the, through the work of the atonement, which we will get into. I'm curious, Rory, then, what do you take faith to be? Is it just an act of intellectual assent? Is it an act of belief? What is this thing called faith that allows us to be identified with with Christ? So I think, um, okay, I'll have to remember. There are some divisions that are made in classical Reformed theology that I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's not meant as merely intellectual belief. That is not what is meant, and there is this distinction between a living faith and a dead faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are many, many people throughout through history, through Christian history, who have believed that Christianity is true, yet had no, I, I think evidently, had no saving relationship with Christ, who lived really horrible lives, did horrible things, and died unrepentant. Even if if you were to ask them what they thought was true about the world, they'd happily recite this creed that we're talking about right now. Um, So I think clearly that person 
And you can see that that was a dead faith, that they had a mere intellectual assert, uh, like assertion that they could sign their name to, um, as opposed to faith as an act of trusting, like a belief and a full trust in God and okay. like a sub full submission to God. So, okay. Yeah. 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 I, I kind of like that in my own thinking. So I don't, I'm not quoting a theologian here that I know of. I have found it helpful to see faith, not purely as some kind of intellectual yes. assent to a proposition, more like trust in a person essentially, which mm -hmm. I think is warranted by the roots of the word faith and fides from the Latin trust and reliance on a person. And, uh, when you rely on a person and you're in a relationship with them, you'll find yourself acting in ways yeah. that tend to align with your relationship. And with if them. you trust them, clearly you believe they're there. Yeah. So the, so the, the, the intellectual, the yeah. intellectual, the intellectual aspect is there. The kind of belief proposition that Christ exists and has done these things is there, but there's another level to that. And that actually brings to mind some verses from the book of James that I think might come up mm -hmm. further in this discussion where James says, you say you believe in God. Very good. The demons also believe in God and tremble, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean they have the intellectual assent, but that doesn't mean they live consistently. They don't with, with actually the, live in submission and trust. Right. With right. that belief, God. which which will lead which will lead James to say that faith without works is dead, mm -hmm. and I'm curious about that relationship because within Protestantism, especially sometimes James and Paul are seen to be somewhat in tension with each other. Where in the Pauline epistles, Paul seems to emphasize very much faith alone without works in the, in this work of justification, and James on the surface. Some may seem to say that faith without works mm -hmm. is not is not so enough. When to he yeah. says salvation. it is not like man, it's not justified by mm -hmm. faith alone. Yeah. So clearly, um, and then when Paul says you are saved by grace, by grace, like by faith, and he does talk about that quite ex quite extensively. Uh, I un I understand why a lot of people see attention there. I don't think there has to be clearly because I do believe all of scripture is inspired by God and I'm not, I don't want to just throw pieces out that I don't like. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, actually let's give Joel a chance to, to, to yeah. talk yeah. about, to talk about this here. Sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, just a little ironic. Um, but, uh, I think, um, so yeah, there's a lot covered there about faith, salvation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just touch briefly on, you know, there's some sometimes tension we can see in, in Paul and James. I think that really has to do with a concept, uh, con with a contextual understanding about what they mean by works. Most of the time when Paul refers to works, he's usually talking about, um, you know, works of the law, works, you know, of the, the Mosaic law, right, explicitly um, or, or specifically, sorry. Um, so, you know, a lot of a lot of the Pharisees or, or the Jewish Christians would would instruct the Gentile Christians that they would have to, uh, you know, now uh, abide by the Jewish customs of eating and, 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 you know, be circumcised, which no Gentile would want to do, um, you know, especially in their adulthood. But um, uh, that's usually what he's talking about in, in a lot of his letters. Um, but James is using a broader contextual definition of works where he sort of just means works uh, of like a good uh, caring for the orphan order. and widow. Yeah, right. Um, you know, uh, which there's a little bit of a, there's like two different kinds of works, right? You have, you have just works of a good moral order and then you have like works uh, of sp supernatural grace. Um, but yeah, so the ways, the ways in which those interplay and, 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 the, and the confusion with which that, that might come across, um, that might 
help remedy some of the confusion that we might see uh, on surface. Um, and uh, yeah, so a lot about justification, a lot about faith and salvation. Um, just and w- just one quick question. Yeah, I guess what would you. you mean by justification? Like, oh, I am justified before God for these things. What would be your your immediate thought? Yeah, I think um, my de- my definition of justification would be pretty similar to Rory's. I didn't really see any reason to object to it, um, in, in my understanding. Um, you know, as you said, like sort of a legalistic uh, term. Um, but I would say that I would be careful. Um, you know, it, I guess I would my my follow up question. You know, just a question back is when we when we mean faith and and works. Um, does true faith like lead lead to works almost correspondingly, or can someone have true faith? without it ever culminating in works or, you know, like, so, so how do those two interplay? I would say, uh, that true faith will necessarily result in works when given the proper opportunity. Um, but like I mentioned, I believe if someone came to a true faith on the deathbed, it might not ever manifest in works and there, and then he is not, uh, have any, he's still just as justified before God in virtue of Christ's righteousness as I would have been if I was mm. saved at 13 years old and then lived till 90 mm. um, doing good things. Yeah, um, I, I do agree with that. Um, you know, obviously we, we have the parable of the workers in the vineyard, right, who come in at different times of the day and, and they're all paid the same amount, but it was all what they were promised, so they shouldn't complain. Um, I would agree with that. Um, for for the for the Catholic perspective, the way that that might differ, right, has to do, you know, with our understanding of uh, of purgatory, right. So purgatory is is uh, for some for people who are unfamiliar, uh, purgatory is the process and, and you know sometimes the place by which we uh, uh, are are cleansed of our sins before entering heaven because one must be fully cleansed to to enter heaven, and so the way uh, a Catholic might might talk about that is um, a, a person who res- who dies on their deathbed, but you know has a change of heart, a supernatural, you know, is affected by grace. Their heart is able to convert. Would spend um, perhaps a longer period of time uh, in that salvific process that um, that C.S. Lewis calls trying to take a shower before you see before you see God in all His splendor. Um, and so that would be where the Catholic would differ from a lot of Protestants on that. Um, and we can definitely get into purgatory later when we talk about uh, life. So I guess to clarify, is um, this idea of purgatory as a purgation, um, what ex- what exactly, since I, if I understand correctly, purgatory is a place of suffering, yeah, um, of bad, terrible suffering mm-hmm. for very long periods mm-hmm. of time. Is that in some way supplementing um, Christ's suffering in that, um, in, as a payment for sin? Um, not so much. I, I, uh, supplementing might be the wrong word, but um, in the same way uh, by which we, Im, uh, by our own, we can join our crosses to Christ in, in a similar way. You know, we can, we can perhaps participate might not be the right word in, in English, but it might be the closest word that we have. Uh, participate in, in that uh, suffering. 
um, it, it, that requires like an active consent and, and, and willingness to do so, which people might not have, have had until their deathbed, right? And that would be the process of purgation is, is, um, is suffering. But, but earthly suffering can be a very, uh, uh, a, 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 like the, the primary means by which we should do so. Right. Okay. I think the theology levels in this room have gone up significantly. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. yeah. To try and make sense of this in a sort of concrete way, we like our analogies. Mm -hmm. I, w I have heard this. I might be misattributing it again. Uh, Martin Luther had a very pithy way of going about saying certain things. I believe one way he characterized the difference between the Catholic view of justification in particular and the Protestant view, which he was then articulating, was imagine a pile of dumb, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, imagine yes, a pile of dumb. And uh, the Protestant view um, is that justification consists of there's a big snowfall mm -hmm. and the pile of dung gets covered. And what happens is it's covered. It is, and at that moment, it is declared essentially clean. In a sense, a person can still be, from that moment, what's the phrase? Et peccator et justus. Yeah, um, Simul. Simul peccator et justus. Simul justus et peccator. Yeah, they can be declared just and a sinner in a sense. Not that this won't manifest itself in a changed transformation, but the justification is so overwhelming in its grace that though we are still sinful, mm -hmm. we are identified yeah. with Christ. And the power of that, I think, is that as Christians grow in holiness, as we grow in our Christian walk, we actually become aware more of our sin rather yeah. than less of our sin. We don't, see, we, don't, we don't see ourselves necessarily becoming more and more saintly in some in some level we will and we should but on another level we'll just become more and more aware that we are dung piles yeah. and so the best we can hope for in a sense is for that snow to cover us yeah. whereas i believe he presented the catholic view as saying that the pile of dung has to turn into the snow yeah that's what i was going to comment on mm. is i i would say that you know baptism in a certain sense uh or, or you know is is a is the pro is basically justification, right? In, in a lot of ways, right? That that's a moment of justification. Okay, in, yeah, in this, yeah, the the nature of the sacraments right. ties very importantly into this, at least in my understanding, yeah. where um, the vast majority of Protestants would deny baptismal regeneration, right? Where there is not that, and that's what they mean when they say, "I was saved." Mm. They, I believe that I have come into a saving relationship with Jesus through a true faith mm -hmm. and it is in virtue of and in the Holy Spirit has worked in my heart I believe that yeah. I have received the Holy Spirit and have been born again yeah. so they're referring and um, many Protestants only want to baptize subsequently to that because they think that baptism is meant to be c very closely associated with that where you might have um, a difference, say, in like Presbyterianism, where they believe that um, um, baptism is more comparable to circumcision, where um, it is a symbol of your entrance into the covenant yeah. of grace, um, and so it is possible for children to be born in at, born into the covenant in an external way, which is still distinct from their regeneration, such mm -hmm. as a uh, a Jewish a Jewish child could get circumcised into the covenant. Mm -hmm. Yet not, um, yet fully participate yeah. in right. a relationship with just God. Just to just to finish my uh, comments on the you know infamous uh, snow dung heap 
uh, yeah. uh, analogy. I would I would um, agree with 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 Luther's depiction, and it has to do with the you know as you were you were talking about the old Adam and the the new Adam Christ right, and the grafting onto a new tree. That this grafting on of a new tree doesn't isn't just a covering of snow. It's a real interior transformation that changes us from the bottom up over time. You know, it, 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 you know, happening, but but it is like a fundamentally different kind of existence, a different kind of life, um, the Christian life. So is right. Um, and I want to get more into this, and I'm trying to think how we can make this. Because there's so many angles by which we could approach it. We can talk about differences in how Christians approach the sacraments. That mm-hmm. is, I mean, for lack of or for a more simpler term, how would we say, like, I mean, there are, there are meant to be signs or means of grace, but in short, they're what the church does. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's uh, baptism, it's uh, the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. Uh, those play a role, um, or especially in the Catholic conception in, in the work of salvation. Mm-hmm. But that's Absolutely. one way that's one way we could get into that. But I don't know. I think early on in this series, I would sometimes take on the role of someone who's completely yeah. completely new yeah. to all this. And I wonder if it might, it might be helpful if he returns. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I might be okay. Give Come me a back mo- artist here. G- give me a moment <laughs> to get into character here. Okay, no. <laughs> he needs a name, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, what about we'll a Valdemar? We'll, we'll, no, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll just go in with the. Um, actually, I might not take on this role, but let's let's take let's find someone who did take on this role. Acts sixteen verse thirty. The Philippian jailer jailer brings out Paul and Silas after they've been miraculously released from prison. And he asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that's the question uh, I would want to float here that I think would help us get to some of the differences in these conceptions as well as some of the similarities. Their answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And shortly afterward, he and his family are baptized. So he gives an answer that on the surface seems to be dealing with kind of the intellectual ascent or uh, act of faith, which with also that aspect of trust, that is how you are saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Do we agree on that? that As uh, agree on what? Sorry. That that this is how you are saved. You're uh, saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, yes. Right. And what does that mean practically from there? What happens after that? So, um, a, a helpful way to think about belief and, and mm-hmm. is um, the. Fides qua and the fides quo, um, you know, uh, I forget which one is which, but, uh, <laughs> you know, just yeah. n- nice little Latin terms, n- never heard anybody. Um, but there's the faith which we believe, which is the intellectual content of the faith, and then there's the faith by which we believe, the act of, of assenting. Um, and that can be a little confusing because it is both an intellectual and a, a will act, right, an act of the will um, to do so. And to to act in belief, right? Um, to to work out your faith through faith and charity, as, as Paul talks about. Um, yes. Yeah, and from there, I guess, I think we would. Another thing we would agree on, Catholics and Protestants, is that this faith is not something merited, at least at the at least at the outset. I think in the Catechism it does say, uh, "Grace is favor." free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God. And since the initiative belongs to God in the order of grace, no one can merit the initial grace of forgiveness and justification at the beginning of conversion. 
So that's an outset thing. What's the difference from there? If, if we both agree that, as Paul says in uh, Ephesians, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Uh, what, what's the difference after that? What is the role of works? And I think this will make most sense if we think, it, think of it in the context of what Catholics might call mortal sin, what Protestants would think about in the context of perseverance of saints versus losing one's salvation. Yeah, and so um, this has a, yeah, this like I think p- plays in very well to, to a conversation on perseverance of saints and, and, and uh, the act of, uh, uh, of eternal security, which is just another way of putting you know, perseverance of saints, that, that those who are truly Christian will remain Christian. Uh, or or be Christian, you know, saved by God at, at the end of at the end of their lives, you know, though they might have right, rough patches in between, um, and um, so the way that that I would think about it, right, is is when we believe, when when we are in faith, we we become in Christ, we become grafted on to the new vine, but there are things that we can do that 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 cut us from the vine, right, that that remove us. Um, you know, uh, apostasy is, is probably the, the best example, right? Apostasy is formal denial, formal declaration uh, uh, of the faith, right? Um, it, it doesn't even have to be, like, formal, like, written out in a letter, like, I, you know, Joel Katati, right? Um, heaven forbid. Uh, but that there are things that we can do that would cause us to lose our salvation, uh, branches that could be cut off the vine, as Christ says, um, that salvation isn't guaranteed. It, it requires, you know, work it out in fear and trembling, um, that sort of thing. So, so yes, we, we become in Christ, but there are things that we can do that can 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 lose us. And um, you know that isn't any failing on God, right? That you know God definitely never fails us, but we very often fail ourselves. Yeah, I guess I hesitate to go too deep into um, the d- the discussion of the perseverance of the saints because, at least in this instance, I don't actually believe that's a dividing factor between. Um, Protestants and Catholics, partially because many Protestants do believe one can lose your salvation. So I think it is the differences of the nature of salvation. I, this is this is a very important discussion, but I think it's more of an intra-Protestant um, debate as far as I'm not sure how helpful it would be to really try to understand um, the central differences. But I, I'd say that but I would like to, I think where I would like to draw some attention to is what is meant by works, where part of why Protestants feel comfortable applying many of these verses that Paul uses regarding the law to Catholics or Orthodox Christians is because um, it is viewed, um, you could say, due to church tradition and the, cu- the accumulation of church canons and various, just various practices um, you have very comparable regulations regarding eating, regarding observance of days, r- observance of rituals that are viewed as necessary works to, I guess, manifest, like, in your I process would push back of salvation. Unnecessary. Well, I guess very, very closely connected as far as participation in the sacrament of, like, reconciliation and um, the Eucharist and baptism and... Um, then also like the good works that should result, um, should be resulting from like, you should be keeping the proper penit like the proper fasts and 
these these various things which I think parallel um, a lot of Jewish practice very closely, which I think it makes sense why some of those practices developed in the church, partially because of that context. Um, I Not to pick on somebody who's absent here, but mm-hmm. <laughs> Nate, Nate or token representative of the Eastern Orthodox tradition, but I know within, I think within the Eastern Orthodox calendar, I think it's the majority of the year, fast days, where you have a majority mm-hmm. of the year, which is much more stringent and difficult than the Jewish calendar itself. Mm-hmm. So in certain ways, the law, the practices that are viewed as necessary are like very much incumbent on Christians to practice to manifest as like works are more stringent than certain Jewish practices. Yeah. Um, just to comment on that quickly. Um, I would, I would definitely push back on necessity. Um, I think that's a very, very, you know, what is necessity for salvation that, um, that's not, I, I, I don't think that's, that's, that's tr- a true depiction of sh- sure. There are things, but, um, they, yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they're good things to do. Right. But, um, you know, when Christ talks about fasting, you know, the Pharisees fast, proclaim it on the streets, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't say, you know, don't fast, right? He doesn't say that there aren't Jewish traditions, practices, things of, you know, that are helpful in informing virtue, right? But rather, it's the attitude towards them. And if we start viewing them in the necessitative manner that you, that you uh, described, right, as the Pharisees definitely did, um, and that's a you know definitely a temptation for Catholics and, and Orthodox. Then more it would then it wouldn't it wouldn't really be a temptation in a, in a lot of uh, Protestant denominations that don't have um, uh, as uh, heavy an emphasis on sacraments or on various acts. Um, if we start approaching it in that necessitative attitude, it can definitely become sinful and a temptation to 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 supplement it for faith in Christ. But it is not you know that's not the attitude one should have. I guess my question for you, Joel, is are any of those things nece- uh, well, is, uh, necessary for salvation? Right. So um, as far as concrete sacraments, the only two that the, the church would say are necessitative um, are baptism and, and Eucharist, right? Um, and Eucharist, it's, it's a little bit more um, nuanced there than I'm giving it credit. But baptism as necessitative, uh, uh, you know, Christ, Christ talks about it in the Gospels, and we can definitely get into sacraments. Um, Eucharist, you know, infamously, John 6, right? Unless you eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, you shall not be saved, right? Um, so there's there's definitely an, a very strong emphasis on those two. Um, but with regard to other sacraments, so confession, right? So that's the Catholic sacrament where um, you would confess your sins to a priest who would give you forgiveness in the manner that, that Christ instructs the apostles. But um, that's not the necessity or the only way that Christ forgives, Right or or that somehow Christ needs to work through a priest mm-hmm. or or someone to to forgive that wouldn't be the Catholic view at or all. Or is it also are there any extra requirements that must be believed for salvation? As far as like does w- does a Catholic have to believe in the Immaculate Conception? Yes. Um, to be saved. Yes. So um so so as far as sacraments, baptism, and Eucharist are are the are the the most, um, and then there are things that the, the church has declared to be 
um, necessity, certain teachings that are required to be necessity for, for salvation, many of which are in common with, with a lot of Protestant denominations that can be uh, difficult. So virgin birth is, is a classic one. But the Catholics would uh, add on a few things. Um, so Assumption of Mary, Immaculate Conception, um, and Mariology definitely we can get into uh, next week. Um, but yes, there are a few more things that are necessity for, for salvation. But um, I guess my question for, for Rory, because I think um, this is one of the, the, the things I find a little confusing about, about Protestant perspectives, is what, in, in, a, in a Protestant uh, perspective, is necessity for salvation? And there can be a, you know, a huge variety in, in Protestant thought, I'm sure, about what that is. Um, I think it's... I think actually that's probably the thing that has the least variety okay. in Protestantism. If anything, that's among lowercase o orthodox Protestant um, the groups, defining. It's the defining yeah. thing that co- coheres it as a actual entity. We don't have too many other defining things. Yeah, <laughs> which there's yeah. like most other things. There is, I guess, this is why actually there is variety because people don't think that it's quite as essential. Like it's mm. necessary for salvation, so people are not. Um, willing to like exclude, like they're willing to associate with people who have very different views on many different issues, mm-hmm. as long as it coheres in the um, belief that you are saved by faith in Christ, al- like alone. Mm-hmm. That you are saved, you're justified alone mm-hmm. by faith in Christ and by a living faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. So that if a person truly believes and trusts in Lord Jesus Christ, and that would and then necessarily, um, like the other side of that coin would be repentance of their sins. When, belie- like, believe and repent, that that's mm. going to be a very closely entailed thing. That if someone is believing the message of Christ, it that rec- that requires believing in His death, burial, and resurrection for your sins, um, and that. So, so, like, you can unpack. Okay, sure. what exactly? What, must so what one the, believe yeah, what within faith? Like, what does it mean to have things. faith in mm-hmm. Jesus Christ? Um, I think it would be very... Um, um, it'd be probably easy to just sum it up in the Apostles' Creed or the Ninth, like, the uh, Apostles' Creed. I think that's there. I think the way I would think about it is to have faith in Christ is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be so disposed as to... Yes, intellectually assent to all Christ states himself to be and truly is, but secondly, to be so disposed as, let me, let me put it this way, uh, this, this idea of deathbed conversion has come, around, come up a few times, and the, the idea there, at least within Protestantism, is if I believe in Christ, I could die at that moment after a life of um, the gravest sin, and nevertheless be saved. And that's not kind of a get out of jail free card, but my heart is then so disposed as maybe I won't die at that moment. Maybe I will live. And the way my heart is now disposed is that I will in fact repent and I will, works will follow from the faith that I have. Yeah. And I guess if you're going to reduce it down, like especially within evangelical Protestants, the emphasis would be on the new birth Mm. that one to be saved is to be born again through the Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit indwell in you so that you, and that is very closely associated with um, belief in Christ as your Savior, which also, like, I think 
this sort of disposition, like this fundamental submission and trust in God in, is much more important than the exact details of what's believed because I think many Protestants could believe that there are people who have, there are many common Christian, like ordinary Christians who have fairly faulty understandings of important doctrines yet truly do have a saving relationship with Christ. They don't have this complex understanding yeah. of the nature of Christ. And if you were to really grill them, they probably would have some pretty problematic yeah. views. So I, I guess like what, um, cause surely there are qualities about Christ that, you know, in reference to some of the high Christology we talked about, right? Someone doesn't need to understand, you know, the full nuance of the high Christology because frankly, nobody does. Um, yeah, or at least very few. Um, but what are like essential qualities about the nature of, of the Son of God that would be important, right? Clearly, someone couldn't believe that that Christ was just fully human, or could some could someone believe that? I'm not sure if that's really it. the. I'm not sure if Protestants are really that interested in trying to slice and dice exactly right. what the criteria are for belief, because but that belief is flowing from a renewed heart. But aren't there qualities that like? you would at least like be like okay you can't believe like you can't believe that and have it and, and it wouldn't be true faith are there any cor cor correct me if i'm wrong here i would say the fundamental protestant thing the quality of christ w that a person must believe in order to be saved by him is that he's able to save in some sense um where i would say uh, i think we see this in the gospels um the crying out lord jesus christ you know son of god have mercy on me essentially that yes and there are infinite nuances infinite heights we could climb defining christ's relationship to the father for instance but he responds to those who simply feel their need and, and feel their need of him, him and, and trust and, and faith and i guess you can also also look to the old testament to the old testament saints where he, the author of Hebrews goes on and on about how all these people were saved by their faith through trusting in God and his promises, where mm -hmm. none of them had a full understanding of yeah. who the Messiah would 100%. be, who he was, what exactly, none of this theology. Like they, mm -hmm. had, they had very, very limited understandings, but if they could truly trust mm -hmm. and rely on God and his ability to save them, Mm -hmm. Look, and they don't. They know that they don't know everything, but trust just mm -hmm. a full reliance that is sufficient for mm -hmm. them to be saved and to have a relationship mm -hmm. with the Holy Spirit. And it is only them through, but it's only really the power of the Spirit itself that allows them to have that disposition. It is mm -hmm. the grace of God that allows them to fully rely on Him. Mm -hmm. So Protestants are not interested in, I think, turning faith itself into a work, right? Because but if you if you make it merely a list of things that one must check off um, to, yeah. then it turns faith itself if into it a do. form of a work. Right. Um, obviously, a Protestant would think the more knowledge, the better. Mm -hmm. the, more, the fuller understanding of Christ and his sacrifice, the right, better. Course, yeah. But, uh, so I don't mean, by the fact of us trying to reduce it down, I don't think we're either of us are saying mm -hmm. that that's ideal whatsoever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's much better for us to be in our position than the position of the Old Testament saints. Yeah. Right. So then I guess just like the last, just to like fully iron out um, my understanding of what you guys are trying to say, are there any qualities that someone could deny? So you mentioned the idea of like oh. ignorance couldn't, you know, 
couldn't comprehend certain things uh, or, or, you know, before the revelation of the Messiah. But is there are there qualities about God that someone uh, could deny, you know, and be intellectually like like deny them and and, and not believe them, but still f- cry out for mercy and ablehood? And how 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 would that work? Mm. That's an interesting question. The, the so we have talked about some heresies, essentially. That's right. an interesting question. Yeah. Because on one level, it looks like these are quibbles about things that people still have trouble understanding. Mm-hmm. Were the Arians, because of their misunderstandings of the nature of Christ, were they by that token mm-hmm. were they not saved? And not just yeah. people who were sucked into Arianisms, but people like Arius himself, or, or perhaps yeah. his more intellectual followers mm-hmm. who would deny that Christ was I th- divine. Yeah, I think my attitude to that would be, like I, we cannot know men's hearts but I would have much less hope for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people okay. who are actively rejecting truth about God, I'm going to have a yeah. much lower hope. Like, yeah. well, I'm, I would, I would want to have hope for mm. that. There are people who were among the Aryans. Right? Yeah. yeah. I might, I may dare to hope mm-hmm. that there were some people who were sucked into it that were deceived yet got like, but uh, yeah, I don't think I'm in a position to presume on sure. that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I want us to, um, uh, I think we're going along. I do want us to come to this question with, with a degree of seriousness here because this question of salvation, it can be an abstract one, but it's also a deeply personal one. Um, mm-hmm. People have, I th- again, um, th- there are probably more examples. I'm not as familiar with them in Catholic history, but I know this Martin Luther, as a Catholic, had deep struggles over his salvation Mm -hmm. um he religious scruples he felt that for him the rites the sacraments of the church were becoming works Mm -hmm. and he would go to confession thinking did i really get everything Mm -hmm. off my plate did i get everything done but even within the more faith alone protestant side there's people struggle with this question they're like was my moment of conversion a genuine one did I sincerely, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer is how a lot mm. of Protestant circles will frame it. Mm. Do I need to do it again? You say faith needs to lead to good works. I think I have faith, but I don't see good works necessarily flowing from that. Mm-hmm. And to those people who are desperate, who are unsure of their salvation, um, who are looking within themselves and either looking for, am I uh, really participating properly in the life of the church? Uh, am I, uh, are the sacraments effective in my case? Or um, on the Protestant side, asking, do I really have that faith? What would you say to them? I don't want to invent agreement where there's yeah. not agreement, but is there something, what, what, how would you respond? Yeah. Um, this line of the creed turns uh, a lot of the objective theology we've been talking about into a very personal i think subject you know subjective question for us men and for our salvation right and and wrestling with that is super important um but christ calls us not to follow him out of fear completely you know fear might be you know the fear of the lord is is where we start of course but it does require us to trust in his mercy um and and to trust and to do as good of a job as as we can and to then leave the rest to God's hands, right? That we can, sure, there are things, you know, that I would say that we could lose our salvation over, but that loss could never be permanent. That loss Mm. is 
uh, you know, we can we can always hope to to be be uh, uh, be to become in Christ again, to to claw it on his armor once again. Uh, and there's no limit to how many times we can do that, or to how effective that might be. So I guess the way I would respond to a Protestant who is thinking, questioning his salvation, is uh, well, twofold. Because there are many, I think many, who do not have a true faith in Christ. Especially that You see that all over the place. You see that in many communities where, oh, they said the sinner's prayer. They think they're great. They live a life just kind of assuming ah, Christianity is like the way to be um, a good person. And so they, they have a time where they could say, oh, I was saved. Yet they... They don't bear the fruit of the spirit. They don't do, you know, they don't have love. They don't have joy. They don't have peace, no patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I think if you don't have any of that, if you have no, you should, and, and you are living a life of open sin and not, and really not having a deep sense of guilt and you should you should consider like have i really turned to the lord jesus christ in repentance have i understood the depth of my sin and my needs for salvation and that's something that's important for people for many people to hear to get wake, woken out of slumber and that's how many revivals have happened when you have a preacher who comes in and and preaches a powerful word that convicts people to realize that they they need to turn to christ in a real tangible way to experience the power of god Yet there are many, on the other hand, who I would I would say that um, the very f- the very fact of you being very concerned about this, that you being so so um, concerned on um, like how can how can I know to be saved? How da, 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 um, I know I'm struggling with sin. Say um, be at peace. Trust in trust in the Lord. Often that conviction of sin and realizing the need like your need to grow in sanctification is a testimony itself to the work of the Spirit in you and that you shouldn't be and that you actually need to look away from yourself and look to Christ. Stop looking to yourself and your own sinful condition and focus on how I can, um, and focus on um, Christ's love for you and Christ's death Mm -hmm. for you and to um, repent and to continue to mortify the sin in your own life and to continue right. the struggle against sin, yet re- rest in assurance of your relationship. So stu- don't turn it into um, something that you are doing out of your own strength, but rest on the Lord. And if somebody is genuinely like, oh, wait, am I, am I saved? Like I'm literally like just, just as bad as the pagan next to me in everything I'm doing, I should say, yeah, you should really think about, <laughs> you should but, think but about, it might uh, be the mercy of God that you're realizing that. Um, yes. And it might be the, mer- the very, yeah, it might be the very work of God at that moment that you're realizing, wait, I'm like literally the exact same as the pagans around me. Do I really have this relationship with God that I like, mm. because I just said the sinner's prayer at age 12. Um, and yeah, definitely. And I think the best way, the best thing that we can say to them is is what Christ said in in the parable of the, the lost son. She just oh what a what a beautiful parable, but um right the son you know recognizing his sin his fault right he's 
he squandered his father's inheritance, right? He, he comes to his father and he says, and the son said to him, like we do, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And it wasn't so much any particular act of the son, but just that recognition of right. his own fault. Right. Um, I think something that's very beautiful here, because it is possible for people to be so aware of their own brokenness that they doubt whether they're even able to, like the prodigal son, come home um, even close enough for their father to see them. And to them, I would say, what's beautiful about this part of the creed is that it doesn't say, for us men and for our salvation, he sent the Bible down from heaven. For us men and for our salvation, he sent the catechism down from heaven. For us men and for our salvation, he sent bread and wine down from heaven. For us men and for our salvation, he came halfway down from heaven and stood there and said, believe in me. Mm -hmm. He came down from heaven and became man. The picture we have everywhere in the Gospels is of people who can't even walk over to Christ. They are lame. They are blind. They cannot make it over to him but they call out have mercy on me help me mm -hmm. and he yeah. comes to them he Get goes out walk. of the city he goes he finds the lost sheep yeah he goes out of the city to seek them actively yeah, he is the shepherd who is you know, looking for his sheep he is uh or I, I, it makes me think of the valley of dry bones in ezekiel mm. where he is the one bringing you to life and i i think that's just the, the power of the idea of salvation by grace by grace alone, that so much, and I, like I already noted, that if if you are struggling with assurance of salvation or with guilt, a it might mean that you really do have sin you need to deal with and repent of, um, but b that requires look just relying on God and not looking to yourself to achieve it. Yeah. Christ is big enough to handle your mm -hmm. sin, um, and you're not you're not particularly bad in comparison to the many sinners he's saved yeah. in the past. Don't think that you're so like oh well I'm like I'm the special case I'm I'm yeah. such a mess. Right, he's, he's saved much worse than probably anybody who's going to listen to this right. podcast. And and if you are aware, and if you are aware of your need for Christ, and you are looking for Him, it's likely because He's looking for you. He says somewhere in John, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out because it's my father who's drawing them, drawing them to me. And that's what I would say. That is really the hope of this podcast as we talk about the creed is really to be Christocentric, to bring it back to Christ, to the person of Christ, because apart from him, apart from his uniqueness and the work he has done, then we really have no hope. All our talk of church, all our talk of the Bible without Christ is, is pretty, pretty empty. And so that's the hope for those listening, for those, for those listening uh, who might be wondering what to do next is look, look, if you're looking for Christ, then that's a step in the right direction. And you will find him as you read your Bible and as you go 
participate in the life of the church, which is the body of Christ, but Christ comes first, and that calling out and recognition of your need is, is in a sense, his call to you. Yeah, if you truly seek him with hands wide open, that you're, you're not holding on to, like, oh, I want... Like, I want peace, I want Christ, but I want this sin, but I want this aspect of my life that not to change. Uh, if you come to him, realize, like, I can have, that Christ promises salvation. He promises everything. Um, he asks you come to him with open hands. You come to him and come to him with a humble, contrite spirit. Right. Um, any, any closing thoughts on... On this question of salvation, um, I guess my my only closing is a is a recommendation um, for all of us uh, to read. You know, within within the n- the next week, whenever you have find find time, maybe right after you finish this podcast, um, my favorite Psalm, Psalm fifty one, and I think that that would really help us to to not lose faith in in it's not. Uh, want of trust in God. Right. Right. Psalm 51 about God's mercy. Even as Christians, even as those saved, uh, we constantly, <laughs> we constantly need to keep coming back to, Amen. to him, Amen. to Christ. And even as not one and done, right. You, you, it's a continuing, right. It's a continuing relationship with him. Yep, and that is what we hope to do. And that is what we hope to do as we keep going with this podcast is keep bringing attention to this Christ who became a man. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week, his becoming a man, his, his birth, his mother. This will be an yeah. interesting, interesting conversation uh, and his, his death. Uh, we'll get more into that as we go on. But thank you all for listening today. Thanks, Joel and Rory. And uh, we'll, we'll be back again next week. Yeah, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Always. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at, at the Good Fight Pod and reach us with any questions or comments at witnessthegoodfight at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you for listening to The Good Fight.